0: podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz and welcome back to the 14th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 29th 2021 and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast and I'm excited but man has summer flown by. Here we are the last Sunday in August and knocking on the door is September which it's just amazing how fast the year has flown by. I know it's been kind of a crazy, chaotic year as we're kind of reflecting a little bit on how the year has continued to go, but there's still a lot of time left and we're definitely still in this wonderful season of Pentecost and we're kind of working our way through that season and what that all brings. But I think it leads really well into a little bit of what we talked about last week and how are you going to keep pushing through and where have you continued to push through? And last week we talked about fusion and different things and how scientists have continued to push and how that's continued to be fruitful. And it's the responses that I got back this last week were definitely people saying there's been multiple different times in my life where the work that needed to be done just had to kind of get through it, had to kind of continue to make it through. And that's been really, really beneficial to think about. That's something that we all do in our own lives. And a lot of times with our own faith, it's the willingness to continue to dig deeper, to find something at further down. But one of the things that I also really enjoyed this week we got from one of our listeners was asking if I had heard of I-T-E-R, the International Thermonuclear Experiment Reactor that's been going on in France. But it's been this worldwide effort to try to make essentially a mini-sun and how that could be one of these major steps forward to working with nuclear. I hadn't really been able to dig into this a ton, and but I think it's something, again, that This kind of shows, again, how this is being worked on across the world, that there's a lot of different cutting edge stuff that is going on with it. And it does offer a lot of potential, but it's also, can we figure out the intermediate steps of what we need now to be able to get to that? Not only for the technology, but the things that we could do to help reduce our carbon impact and help reduce our impact on the environment in general as we work toward that. So super, super fun thing to kind of be thinking about and just dealing with. And this week, we're definitely going to have a shifted gears. So let's just jump into it. This semi-continuous Old Testament text is out of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on your Bible. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. This is one of the more discussed books of the Bible, and when they were looking at putting it in the canon or putting it into the Bible, this was a book that was hotly contested, debated. Again, there's a lot of even question on, did Solomon really say this? But it's a big love letter, and a lot of ways that people will put it is a love letter between God and his people, a love letter between Jesus and the church, a love letter between how about just human love is one thing. So it is this beautifully written, very poetic style of a man and how he looks on his lover and how he gazes upon her and is just continuing to look at how beautiful this person is and comparing them to blossoms and vines and how beautiful the fragrance is and looking upon her, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look there, he stands behind our wall, gazing in at, at the windows, looking through the lattice. So this idea of just kind of in awe of the beauty of this person. So kind of a neat interesting text to kind of be looking at and thinking about. Just the beauty of it. And if you get time, definitely spend some time just reading out a Song of Solomon. It's very, very poetic. And the psalm that ties in with that is Psalm 45 verses 1 and 2 and 6 through 9. This continues that theme. So this is again how the love and the care that God has for us and how this then pours out of us this love. And that as we continue to do that, we are able to recognize the love that God has for us and then being able to separate that from the things that would take us away from that. And so when we're doing that, then we start understanding how God does look at us as royalty as long as we are putting away these things that pull us away from God, the wickedness of life. The other alternative Old Testament text is from Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 and 6 through 9. This text kind of ties in a little bit with where we'll go a little bit with the gospel. But this is talking about obeying God and following the ordinances that God has put down. And that through that, then we are able to discern wisdom. And to understand that the wisdom that God has given us to be able to discern good from evil type of thing. And so realizing that wisdom does come from God and it comes from spending time with God that then we are able to have wisdom to be able to move in the right direction. And then from that, it's able to help us take care of each other. It's a really, really beautiful text in that way. A psalm that goes along with that is Psalm 15, all five verses of it. And it's recognizing in this that the tongue and what we say can pull us away from God. So it's understanding how we are not worthy with who we are to be able to stand face to face with God. But as long as we are turning that over to God, and realizing that and continuing to use the wisdom that God is trying to stir within us, that that way then we are able to honor God with our lips and with our actions And thus being able to be shown as this child of God that we are called to be. The New Testament text this week is out of James chapter 1, verses 17 to 27. This is a text, and first, before we really jump into this, realize that James is written by the brother of Jesus. And in that, there's some kind of unique characteristics, especially within the introduction, kind of stating who James is and recognizing that this is the son of God coming from that, which is kind of an interesting side note. But this is then talking about how, yes, we have to be discerning. We have to take in things. We need to have wisdom. We need to be quick with understanding how powerful our tongue can be and really listen and absorb but it also means we cannot just be merely hearers as it kind of comes in in verse 22 but we have to also have our lives and be doers and have our life be a reflection in action of what Christ has done with us and that this is not just something that's written down in the law and that it needs to be embedded within us that it can't be a hollow action, that this needs to be something that is embedded into who we are, and then that needs to come out through the love that God has put into us. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, 14 to 15, and 21 through 23. So we're jumping back into Mark. So there's, again, the details and descriptions are going to be brief, so remember that. We also need to look at that in these different sections, Jesus is talking to different people. So 1 through 8 here, he's talking to the Pharisees in the temple. In 14 and 15, he's talking to the crowd. And 21 through 23, he is talking to his disciples. So what is he saying? Jesus is with his disciples. And the Pharisees notice that he is eating without having washed his hands. And we get verses 3 to 5 kind of talking about the tradition and how this has been done, that you thoroughly wash your hands and wash the utensils and everything that you're using. Jesus then calls this out when they call him out about it. And it's not that he's calling out the hand washing. He's calling out why they're doing it. And the reason he's calling it out is that this is from the law in the Old Testament, and especially like Leviticus, which is talking about what the priests need to do in order to be ready to enter the holy, the holy tent, the holy of the most holy to present themselves before God. This has been passed into the community that then all people need to be doing this. And this is where Jesus is kind of Putting up some kind of wait a second, what are you actually doing? Why are you doing this tradition? And then he kind of talks into that this is not a commandment necessarily from God. This is something that you've made into a human tradition. And then talks to the people later that it's nothing from the outside of a person that can defile, but it's things that come out. It's the tongue. It's the innermost thoughts that can defile us, the things that when we're not letting God penetrate us that can defile. And Jesus then talks about at the end of this text, 21 to 23, letting his disciples know that it's the fall of the human condition, the human heart, the the temptations that we have that are essentially are pulling us away from God. And that's what all of this kind of boils down to. So Before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to listen to multiple biblical scholars, read multiple biblical scholars, to be able to bring you this podcast. Along with, I love using the lectionary coming from Vanderbilt.edu. Why do I really enjoy using it? One, I really like how they lay out all the readings together. It's really, really helpful from my end, but also being able to look at different art and how different artists have interpreted these texts is really helpful to bring some different insight, especially that they're not all American thinkers. So being able to bring in kind of a worldly perspective is really helpful. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from vanderbilt.edu or checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend checking out both of these sources. Let's, before we jump into the science component of this, what is Jesus, like what we talked about really calling out? And to me, when I'm looking at this, it's empty tradition. And especially for me being raised in a traditional Lutheran background, this is something to me that I've thought about a lot because I think it's something that we are in dangerous territory with the church, big C, all across the board. We love going into tradition, and like I've said before, we don't like change, but we need change to be able to move forward with God. So we like holding on to things, and especially like the Lutheran tradition that I've grown up with, with having lots of liturgy and songs, things, and different things of that nature, I also realize that I was the weird church kid who kind of learned that so much of this is scripture that's interwoven and what are some of the different components and why are we doing this? And it's tying back to our Jewish roots and all these different things, which is awesome. But if that's not being conveyed to the regular person in the pew, it loses meaning. And it just becomes ritual that's shallow, that's empty, that really doesn't mean anything. And when a kid asks, why am I speaking Latin? Why am I speaking Greek? If we don't know the reason and we aren't able to pass that along or spark the curiosity to ask, how is it that much different than what Jesus is calling out here? It's not necessarily the hand-washing itself. He's calling out the tradition that has become empty. The tradition that hasn't meant something significant anymore. It's just become practice. And within doing that, it's blinded us... To the possibility of something new and what that can mean. See, when I am looking at the Pharisees, granted, they are calling out Jesus being against the grain here and doing something that's out of the social what has become the social norm. but they also then are, to me, as I'm reading this, sounding very receptive to the idea of Jesus possibly showing a new way. In human history, we have definitely done this before. One of the ways that we have done this before is fermentation. So what is fermentation? Fermentation is when a food undergrows microbial growth through microorganisms such as yeast or bacteria to break down different food components such as sugars and glucose making it in ways easier but also making new products that the body has to develop on how it's going to process this stuff and a lot of the different foods and such that we eat and consume and enjoy on a day-to-day basis are this milk yogurt Cheese, wine, beer, cider, kumbacha, sauerkraut. And the thing that I find really interesting when we take it and we are thinking about this from the text that we have is technically these are spoiled foods. Technically, these are foods that have been overtaken by a bacteria or a microorganism. And 99% of microorganisms are perfectly fine for us to eat. We're just so tuned in to that 1% that are salmonella, E. coli, different things of that nature that literally will make us sick, that we get concerned about it. But I think about like the first person who figured out, say, yogurt, where we're getting milk to curdle into like cheese and yogurt. What would that have been if they just got rid of it and someone wasn't daring enough to try it? And especially that yogurt is used as a probiotic. That it's a good bacteria and it seems to do well in our gut. And because it's easy to be able to look at, we've done a lot of tests with and are seeing that, yeah, there seems to be some benefits to our overall health through this fermented food, this spoiled food that actually benefits our body. And this was something that was transformational in the evolution of humans. I'll attach a link from PBS Eons below. But they talk about definitely different Homo sapiens species. Even before Homo sapiens. Uh, Neanderthals probably also had this ability to be able to eat fermented fruits and different things. Especially the like alcoholic ones to be able to break down so it didn't just destroy the liver right off the bat. That this was huge. In that process, it led us from being a nomadic people into an agricultural age where we were starting to try to grow wheat for either bread or beer was probably the first ones that caused this transformation. And it's interesting because they see these types of things now all over the world with different types of foods, even to Vegemite and all these crazy different foods, and that somewhat they've even noticed it can be passed on from generation to generation in the womb by smells and getting familiar with it and getting used to it, just like many of us, from blue cheese all the way down. But it meant that somebody had to be open enough and willing enough to try something new, to not just go, in this case, with the fresh fruit, but be willing to try something that was starting to spoil. And now us being Thousands of years later, we really enjoy these spoiled products on a day-to-day basis. So what is this actually saying? It means that we have to be creative. It means that we need to be willing and able to think outside the box. Especially with where we are in the church, I think this is a great opportunity. We're still needing to think outside the box just because things have been done a certain way for an extended period of time does not mean that that needs to be the way that they're done hasn't the pandemic kind of challenged some of these ideas holy communion during this pandemic have hasn't there been multiple different churches that have experimented with home holy communion and getting us to realize it's not necessarily special bread or special wine It's the recognition for us that Christ is in that moment, that Christ is there. And depending on your faith background, you look at it slightly differently, but that Christ is in that moment, somehow, some way. And no matter where we are, that that's still happening. How many times have we had traditions or different things that we have gotten to the point where they are hollow, that we're no longer really understand why we're doing them, but we just do it for the sake of doing it? And I'm not saying that hand-washing, especially in a time of the end of a pandemic, that hand-washing is a bad thing. But in this case, the meaning of why they were doing it had been lost. And they were so blinded by this is just the way that we do it that they weren't asking the question anymore of why we were doing this. And the second part being then, is there another way that we could potentially do this? That's where like you look at the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs text and the love that we have for God and especially into the the psalm my heart overflows with a goodly theme I can address to my king my tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe that we are ready and just overflowing and we're sitting there and ready to go but that means that whatever we're doing whatever we ordinances have been given to us they're deeply meaningful to us And that means that we have to be willing and able to be creative to keep things fresh so that our actions aren't hollow, that our actions are meaningful. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think this is a text that's really hard to talk about because it means we have to be like scientists with our own faith in a way we don't like to be. It means that we have to analyze and think about everything that we're doing in our faith And be critical of, do I understand that meaning? And then if I don't, do I have the desire to understand why we do that? And if I don't, then why am I doing it? This is supposed to be something that is stirring within us, that is constantly desiring us to go deeper. Desiring us to see if I leave grapes out long enough and I have the right environment what happens? If I leave this ham out with lots of salt on it for a long enough period of time, finding out that it makes a salami, are we willing to do that with our faith? Are we willing to go through those things and really dig into them? And not just as an individual, but as a corporate group? Because if not, how many of our symbols have become hollow? That this is just what we do, or this is just how it's done? Because as a scientist, We don't like doing things just because that's the way that you've done them. You better have a reason on why you're doing them because otherwise you're wasting efficiency. Sometimes maybe it's like, yes, we're clipping this as a secondary backup because we're still testing this technology and it's good to have this backup. Okay, makes sense. But there's a reason whenever you're doing a test that that you're making notes, that you're recording these different information, you're trying to extract as much data as you can to potentially have correlations or be able to help better understand why or what the result of your test was and why. Are we doing that with our faith? Are we putting ourselves in that situation or are we just doing a lot of symbolic things for symbolic reasons that really have lost all meaning to us? Because that to me is what God is calling out through Jesus here. Are we going to church just for the reason of making appearances? Or are we going to church to actually be fed and nourished and ready to be sent out into our week? These are hard questions. These are questions that shake us to the core. But this is also why we need to ask them. If we aren't asking why, then how are we growing? Let me read, just quote here, starting in verse 5. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He, Jesus, said to them, Isaiah prophesies rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but not their hearts. But their hearts are far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine.'" You abandon the commandment of God and hold on to human tradition. Are we being transformed? Think of that transformative moment when the person had pickles, say, for the first time. Taking a cucumber, putting it in the right acidic solution, vinegar, and coming up with a pickle. It's a huge transformation. And it totally changes things. I think if you ask most people if they put a cucumber on their cheeseburger, they would say no. But do they put pickles? You might get actually more yeses than just cucumbers. That transformation has changed the context and the whole correlation to what they're doing. In our faith, and like James is talking about, this is not something that should be just, we do it for appearances. We are trying to be transformed internally, outward. We are doing things to be transformed internally, to move us toward doing things outward. And the funny thing is, is it's amazing when you look at a lot of these different fermented foods. Yes, we might notice things on the outside, but it's really been on the inside where they've been transformed the most. Bread gets poofier. What's actually going on? The yeast is eating the glucose and burping out CO2, making the bread rise. So the higher it gets, the less and less sugars that are there that they've been eaten. Your yeast has been fed. That's what you're seeing. We look at these fermented foods and yes, it's things that are spoiled, per se, but they also have changed our culture and they've been transformed from the inside out. Are we allowing ourselves to be transformed from the inside out? And I hope so, because we are not the same people that we were. I'm not the same person that I was when I started this podcast, and I know I sure hope that you're not the same person you were three and a half years ago also, because we need to be living and growing just like our faith. It's a living and breathing thing that we need to continue to feed, nourish, to help grow. So the Twitter question this week is, where in your life or where in life do you need to reevaluate? things so they don't become hollow. Where in your life do you need to reevaluate things so they don't become hollow? It's hard because it means at times that we have to push against the grain and we have to challenge things. You have to think about things. But thinking about things is a good thing because it challenges us to really be why are we doing the thing that we are the way that we are. It's something we do in science and it's something that a lot of us don't do enough in faith. And myself included. My wife not being raised in the Lutheran tradition has challenged me plenty on why do you do things this way? And if I can't come up with a good answer, then I better go and figure out a good answer. I better go and dig and research and find things out. And that's again where our faith and science seem to kind of come together. So I want you to think about that a little bit this week because I know for me, it's something I still have to think about a lot. And if I'm gonna eat fermented food that's technically spoiled, without much of a second thought on how it got to that way and that I enjoy it, that I can have a pickle without any second thoughts, then are we allowing ourselves to do that with our faith so that not only just there isn't a second thought, but there's also a meaning and a depth to it because that's what we're striving for, faith with depth. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.